Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Kia ora, have a seat, have a seat. Ko te mihitua tahi ki te atua, ko ia te kaihanga ona mia katoa. Tene te mihi kia koutou, te whana o tenei wharikarakia tena koutou. Nō reira, tena koutou, tena koutou, tena koutou katoa. Um, I want to start with acknowledging our God. He is the creator of all things and deserving of acknowledgement. Um, and then also you, church family, acknowledging you and the warmth of your welcome. Um, thank you so much. Incredible to be here today. As John has said, my name is Mickey. I lead the church relations team at Christians Against Poverty, and I'm currently based in Auckland. Now, don't hold that against me. Um, I feel like I have a few other credentials that um, I should share with you so that you'll listen to what I have to say today, all right? I have lived in Dunedin for several years, and I've lived in Matauta on a sheep farm for several years. Um, Christchurch was my go-to place for holidays, so um, I love Southland. I love the South Island. Um, my heart, I often think, sits here because it's way too warm in Auckland, quite frankly, um, but also, um, I love Equippers as a movement. My spiritual daughter um, tried several churches um, in Auckland and found her spiritual home at Equippers there. So you have a soft spot in my heart, right? Um, my job as head of church relations means that I get to engage with church leaders. They pay me to do that. It's ridiculous. Um, but it, it's a job that I'm very passionate about. It's a job that I really love and probably second only to parenthood. I did bring a picture of the fam. Um, I have added a daughter-in-law into the mix, which is very exciting for us at the end of last year. Yes, please don't do the math. My children are all in their 20s, and I was well married by the time they came along. Um, I grew up as a missionary kid in South Africa during an apartheid, if you know that section of history. And when your formative years are formed, in that type of environment, God sets some things in your heart pretty deep, right? And so some of my favorite scriptures are Joshua 3.5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. I may not be able to change governments, but man, I want to know the one who can, yeah? How about Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. I want to be a part of the movement, a part of the people that encourages the church to live out Micah 6, 8. Yeah? Wouldn't it be incredible if the church of Aotearoa, everyone said, man, that's who they are. They love justice. They, they love mercy. And they walk humbly with their God. Well, that's actually what drew me to CAP, quite frankly, because I could do all of those things. Um, and again, they pay me to do it, which is incredible. Um, I have met mums and dads who try year after year, but simply cannot get ahead. And it is my belief that we are called as the church to care for people. See, my work reminds me we don't actually know what's going on behind those smiles, behind those closed doors, do we? They might be people that we see every day, and yet there are so many broken situations that only our Jesus can heal, only our Jesus can restore. And it's the church, it's you and me, friends. We're the ones that are called to minister to them, yeah? 
So this morning, I'm going to tell you some stories of some very courageous people who were helped by the local church through a CAP ministry. The stories of churches reaching people in a truly transformational way. And as I share my prayer for you, my prayer for you leading up to today through the worship this morning is that your hearts will be moved by compassion. That you will have the desire to see beyond people's strong southern exteriors. Yeah? That you want to understand the struggle and that you have a heart to respond with mercy. Yeah? So if we're going to do that, because that seems like a really big ask, we better go to the word, yeah? So um, here's a story that I'm, I'm guessing you've heard if you were ever in Sunday school. I'm sure John has even spoken on it. This is a good one for getting your people motivated. Um, it's in Luke 10, and I'm going to start in verse 25 because I just love the way Jesus sets up this parable, and um, it bites, and I have to remind myself all the time, right? So we're going to start Luke 10. Um, I do have, yes, I do. Look, um, If you have paper, follow along. Here we go. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what we all want, right? What is written in the law, Jesus asked, and how do you read it? I love that he asked both of those questions, eh? What's written in, how are you reading that? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus said, do this and you will live. (laughs) But the experts, he said, "Ah, I just want to justify myself and who is my neighbor? Because loving everyone as yourself seems like a lot of hard work and you don't want to go around doing all that if you don't have to do it to everyone, right? Yeah. (laughs) This bites, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, So in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer him directly, but he gives him a story, right? A very infamous story if you've been around church circles. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, in Jesus' time, Jericho was a very rich city. It was an oasis. And so the road between Jerusalem and Jericho would have been very heavily trafficked by worshippers and businessmen, But the road was a dangerous one. It was about 15 kilometers long and about 1,000 meters in descent. And it was very dry and dusty and windy trails. And in fact, locally, it was known as the way of blood. So if this was a movie, boom, 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 would be the soundtrack, yeah? 
right? Not the kind of place that you, or the journey that you would go on just willy-nilly. You would need to have some thought for your own safety, yeah? So do I have enough food and water and supplies to take that 15-kilometer journey? All by foot, mind you. Do you have what you need to protect yourself? Are you traveling in a group? Do you have enough to get you from A to B all in one trip? Because around those narrow passes, there were lots of caves where robbers liked to hide and jump on unsuspecting travelers. So, with that in mind, let's put ourselves in the story, shall we? We're coming around a corner and we see up ahead there's a lump on the side of the road. Mm, pretty sure that's a person. And I'm not sure that he's still alive. That's all right. Here comes a priest. He would have been coming from Jerusalem, and he's a holy man, so it, this is okay. He looks and walks on. Now, a Levite, not quite as high up as a priest, but still worked in the temple, he also comes, looks, and walks on. See, Jesus doesn't tell us why they didn't stop. It could have been as simple as if the man was dead and they touched him, they would then be ceremonially unclean. And so they'd have to go back to Jerusalem before they go to Jericho to essentially go to work. And it's so inconvenient. It could be that they just had a real strong sense of self-preservation, right? I mean, this guy came to harm here. What idiot would stop? So you just keep on going. But if we keep looking, we see the Samaritan. We call him the Good Samaritan, but no Jew would ever use good and Samaritan in the same sentence. Yeah? They were mortal enemies. The hate ran deep and it was generational. The man on the side of the road was clearly Jewish, and that didn't stop the Samaritan. As Jesus tells it, the Samaritan was moved by compassion. When I read this parable, I'm not only struck by that, but I'm struck by the sheer extravagance of his care for this stranger. Yeah? He ignores the danger to himself, which the others obviously didn't, and he offers the man immediate physical help, right? He bandages his wounds, he puts his own cloak around him, loads him on his own donkey, and gets him out of the danger zone. He takes him to an inn, pays for two days' keep, and then, back in the day, we would have said, wrote him a blank check. These days, he left him his F postcard and gave him the PIN number. Yeah? He said, whatever it takes to care for this man, I will cover those expenses. That's ridiculous, guys. That is ridiculous. I won't ask a show of hands who did that last because I couldn't raise mine for sure. <laughs> but Jesus ends this, who was a neighbor to the man, the one who showed him mercy. And what does Jesus say? Go, do likewise. Well, that was a very long time ago and in theory it's just a story. So what does it mean for us today? Because the reality is, poverty robs people. It strips people of their dignity. It rips them out of community. There are families in our nation, there are families right here in your community 
who have been battered and beaten down by poverty and literally left on the roadside. It's either caused by debt or generational cycles that just seem impossible to break. Like I said, they may be people you know. They may be people that seem just fine on the outside. It's people like Kath and Marlo. I think of a picture, yeah. Um, they both put on a brave face every day when they went to work, and they had $60 a week to feed their family of five. Their home was a place of resentment, of anger, and of fear. It's Emma, another beautiful cat client who was struggling to find work, and she was living in a little garage with her son. She had no one to turn to. She felt like a failure. She felt like a bad mum. It's Sia, a beautiful mum who was just trapped in the cycle of debts and repayments, creditors' phone calls, just wondering if life was even worth living. To put it into context, the situation may look something like this. You do the math and think about your own life, right? So put yourself in the story yourself. Imagine you've paid all your bills and there's nothing left. Oh, you might have $60 to feed your family like Kath and Marlo did. That's $8.50 a day. So what happens on a cold Christchurch morning when you just want to heat your home? There is no money for that. You have to choose between feeding your children and heating your home. And so you skip a meal. And before you know it, that becomes your norm. Cat clients tell us that two out of three skipped meals on a regular basis simply to make ends meet. 52%, that's over half, couldn't afford to heat their homes at all. And 67%, almost two-thirds of them, were in fear of losing their home altogether. There's no extra. You can't do car maintenance. You can't get school shoes. So you choose to borrow a little. You choose to put a little food on the table. And that interest compounds quickly. Makes the days, the weeks, the months harder and harder. You're tired. You're hungry. You lose your temper just a little bit more. Your sense of belonging actually shifts because you're now defined by the fact that you don't have petrol to put in your car and you can't bring a dish to a family party or a present to a kid's party. And so you're lonely. You have this feeling of failure, hopelessness, and nine out of ten say that depression was a daily thing. And of course there's the shame, right? You're just not trying hard enough. It's hard to hear, but one in three of our CAP clients contemplate or even attempt to take their own lives before they finally ask for help. One client says, it's the stuff that breaks you. You know, if we look back just a couple of chapters, Jesus stands up in the temple for the first time and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah about himself. It's in Luke 4 and he reads these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says, this is who I am. This is why I've come. I'm here with good news for the poor. I'm here to bind up wounds. I'm here to heal broken hearts. I'm here to set the oppressed free. Jesus was moved and guided by compassion. Just like he told in the story of the Samaritan. See, his heart has always been turned towards the lost and the hungry and the poor, right? And today there is still an enemy that wants to rob people, who wants people to be defined by their struggle. He wants them to be defined by their poverty. He wants them trapped. But Jesus came. Jesus gave his life and he rose again. People can be released. They can be released from those bonds of hopelessness. They can have a fullness of life in him. The fact is, the New Zealand government does some wonderful things. There are social services that do incredible work and they have their place. But church, we were called. We've been empowered to minister to those who God has put in our care. We have the opportunity to enter into people's pain, to offer both physical and spiritual help and hope. I know you can do that in a lot of different ways, and I'm pretty sure some of you already are, and I applaud that. And this is where Partnering with Cat comes in. This is a piece of the puzzle that we can do together. See, Cap's partnered with hundreds of local churches throughout Aotearoa, acting as a bridge into their community, helping people love their neighbours with holistic care, introducing them to the transforming love of Jesus. So Cap Debt Help reaches people who are in poverty because of their unmanageable debt, Right? So people like Catherine Malo, people like um, Sia and Emma, this is what we're looking to step into here when we say Debt Help Centre. This is the ministry that we want to partner with and do together. So from the local church, this would be you, um, you get to go visit clients in their homes. Yeah? You get to be that first face-to-face after they call CAP for help. You get to know the families. You get to take care of those immediate needs, do an emergency food shop. You get to fill empty cupboards. You get to be the face of encouragement. You get to pray with families. You get to say life-changing sentences like, you're a good mum. You're doing a great job. Then they gather all those debts and bills. They head off to head office, and the team at head office advocates on behalf of over 500 clients each and every day. See, the team up there, they do the negotiating with creditors. You don't have to worry about that. They get all of those interests and repayments lowered and sometimes altogether forgiven. Can I just, we just ticked over $100 million. 
$100 million has either been forgiven or paid back by CAT clients over 14 years. That's a ridiculous number, guys. It's a ridiculous number. Then the head office builds a livable budget. Not $60 a week, but a livable budget. We found that, um, this is totally not my script, so sorry if I go long, um, but um, their food budget increases by 157%, like it more than, more than doubles, um, just by building a livable budget. We, we prioritise feeding your family. And then you see the cap team, we work with clients. It's average two to four years to go debt-free. And so we work with them and support them all along the way, at the same time that you're doing that same thing face-to-face. Because your piece is the holistic care piece, yeah? You're maybe changing a battery in a car, yeah? Offering a bit of advice on how to take care of it. You might be offering some babysitting, inviting them to church, including them in your community, yeah? What I love about CAP, what I love about partnering with the church is that together we offer a platform of hope. And hope is powerful. It is so powerful. And hope doesn't start when someone goes debt-free. Hope doesn't start when the problem is finished, yeah? Hope starts with a prayer. Hope starts when they first call for help and realize they're not being judged. Hope starts when you show up in their home and you say, we're here to help. We see you. You're not alone anymore. It starts with the knowledge that people have value. There is a God who loves them and he wants more for them. And you get to be the vehicle of sharing that with them. It's one thing for me to tell you about the change. It's one thing for me to tell you the stories. But I want you to hear from someone's own lips, really, what transformation looked like in her life. So I want to share with you Sia's story. I was at a point in my life where I actually didn't want to be here. It was depressing and um, I didn't know who to talk to. I I didn't want to tell anybody my feelings because... I didn't want them to say that I was sick or something's wrong with me. So I just kept it to myself. It was the debt, it was the things I was doing, the life I was living. I just remembered um, like when my daughter was little, we had nothing in the cupboard. I would go rummaging like in between chairs, just looking for coins just to get some bread. It was terrible. I felt like I would tackle a bill and then another bill would pop up and I just, I guess I was going round in circles like a merry-go-round. I didn't know how I could get out of it and I hated it, like I was just like, is this it? Is this life? One day I went to the mailbox and grabbed the newspaper and I brought it inside and um, as I looked at it, it had the family on it that was that was free of debt and so I started reading it. Something inside me said to ring. At that time I had no credit on my phone but it was the 0800 number. I heard a knock at the door and standing there was Chris. 
she was like an authoritative figure like I'm here to to get things done I felt like finally somebody's here to help me we sat down on the table and she said to me where's your bills and I said here I had a pole in my hand and she just went right give them here and she took them from me it felt like she just took a huge weight off me there were like superheroes coming to sort out my life pretty much and they did <laughs> she asked me if I went to church and I said no and she's just started talking about a man named Jesus it wasn't until she said that he is able to help me as a mum that I started to get a little bit interested in what she was saying. And then she asked me, could we pray with you? Do you want to invite Jesus into your life? And I said, okay, like what have I got to lose? Because I had nothing and felt like nothing anyways. After the prayer, it felt like God had picked me up and had me in his hand. And it was like, he went, like finally, like yes, you've come home, sort of. I started feeling happier, like I was full, like I had everything. When I was with Cap, it felt like I had support. I had people that had my back, that believed in me, and it made the process so much easier. I didn't like having a budget, <laughs> but I knew that um, what I was doing never worked. So yeah, I was willing to give this a go and it actually worked out. I got a phone call from one of the ladies at the office and yeah, she um, said that I was debt free. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I got off the phone and I sat there and I just remembered like just crying. I just, yeah, just started crying. Part of the process of being with Cap I felt like it was motivating me to get a job, to find my place in the world. And I, I actually got off the benefit, which is one of the goals that I wanted for my life. It makes me feel really good. Me and my family's faith has grown with each other. Even when things happen, we stick it out through prayer. And I love it, especially in my marriage. My hope for my children is um, that they seek God first. I feel like I'm teaching them better money principles. I just hope that what I've learned, they would be able to pick it up and do it for their families. I have a life now. Now I, I love life. And life's so much happier and more fun with Jesus. I feel God's got bigger dreams than what, you know, than what I have at the moment. So yeah, it's amazing. more fun with Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I literally watch that movie all the time, video all the time, and um, it catches me every time, and, and different things catch me, and um, reflecting on the songs that we sang this morning, and Sia says, I am nothing and I had nothing, so what did I have to lose? And yet she's passing on good money principles and Jesus 
to her children. That is life transformation worth celebrating. See, when people are freed from poverty, when those bonds loosen, they get to discover who they are in Jesus. Everything changes. Just like we saw in Sia's story, even to the next generation. Remember Catherine Marlowe? I mentioned earlier, they went debt-free in 2014, actually. And they both work for CAP. They pass on the love that was extended to them in different capacities. Their, journey, their family's out of debt. They describe their home as a place of laughter, of korero, of freedom, and of joy. Emma, who was living in the garage, she went debt-free in 2015, actually. And since then, she's gotten married. She's found a job, and she loves that her son will never be in the position that she was in because he's being raised with wonderful money management. Three stories, three precious families, but they aren't the only three. Over the last 14 years, 2,233 families have gone completely debt-free. Yeah? Okay, I'm going to say it again. We'll just... No, no, you missed your chance. You missed your chance. Right. What's really cool is over the last 14 years, 2,233 families have gone completely debt-free. <laughs> just picture Sia's face. Picture Sia's face for each one of those beautiful life changes. And you know what I love about that number? is that because we follow our clients um, through and form such deep relationships, we know how they're doing afterwards. The stories I've told you are from 2014, 2015. I could tell you a 2022 story, but I couldn't testify that the change has stuck. Yeah? So I want to testify to you that the change has stuck. 93% of our clients, two years after they've paid off their debt, are still debt-free. That's a ridiculous number, guys. That is a ridiculous number. Cap never pays a dollar along the way. No, you don't pay their debt. They pay their own debt. We just work hard at walking alongside them and supporting them from the two different aspects. And you know what? Just like Sia, prepare yourselves because I expect a first time through on this one, guys. Just like Sia, 1,412 have made a commitment to Jesus. Yeah. And what I love about that is it's beautiful families um, like the ones that I've shared with you today. It's not just them that know Jesus, but they've passed that on to the next generation. Every day, people are being set free from bondage and of debt. This is the power of the church. This is you and me being extravagant with our love. This is you and me loving mercy. This is you and me doing justice and walking humbly with our God. So how can you respond today, right? Because hopefully Jesus has set something in your heart. If you were listening and paying attention, I'm sure he has told you something. If you saw yourself in the stories today, please know there is no shame to ask for help. I have brochures that you can take one and call the 0800 number. Your church family doesn't need to know. But I'd hope you come and chat to me. I'd love to have a chance to meet you. If you have friends or family that are in this boat, take some brochures and hand them out. Yeah? It's just a phone call. 
They'll sort it out. Whether you think you may or may not, they'll sort it out on the phone. You don't have to worry about that, okay? And then can you pray for me? John, I don't listen. My job is to talk to church leaders to open debt centers. I try to get the church in all of its beauty and all of its messiness and all of its varied forms to move in the same direction. It's a challenge. I would envy your prayers. I would envy your prayers as we, we still turn people away. Christchurch is one of those places that we turn people away because there isn't the help available. The centers that are here do incredible work, but they cannot do it all. They would like your help. So would you pray for me? And lastly, a debt center is not a one-person thing. Debt help takes us all. You will have a connection to a client or a gift or something that Jesus can use that no one else has. So if God has prompted you, has stirred your heart, will you please not hold that to yourself? Will you please talk to to Jono about that? Yeah? You may think it's silly, but God used loaves and fishes, so I don't think he's really worried about what you bring to him, is he? Awesome. Right. Last challenge. Don't walk away and do nothing. Your hands may be full. This may not be your thing. That's all right. Will you at least talk to someone? You may be the person that they need to talk to because they've been wondering if their thing was just a little bit silly to talk about or wondering if they're equipped and you might be the voice that Jesus uses to encourage them. So I can encourage you to have some conversations, talk to each other, spur one another on, yeah? On to good deeds. God is doing a good thing in this place. And I celebrate that with you. Let me pray a blessing over you. Gracious Father, you are so good. You are so kind and you are mysterious too. Sometimes we wish we knew all the things that you were doing and yet we can't understand all the things you were doing. And so Father, will you plant bravery in our hearts? Father, will you take us into odd conversations that we're just not sure where you're going with that one? But probably the person on the other end of that conversation knows. They're just waiting for some confirmation. They're waiting for that physical voice for you to speak to them. Father, I want to pray over this community in these walls, outside of these walls. Father, this is a space that is going to look a little different as you bring the sheep into the fold. Father, I pray that we're prepared for that. Father, will you start the work now? None of this happens overnight. You are the God of the long game. And so, Father, we're praying into what you have to come. Father, will you use these days of fasting Will you use these times set aside to connect with you and know you better and seek your face? Will you use them for your plans and your purposes? Will you bring your wisdom 
your kindness, your joy, your peace, your bravery to do all things in your strength. Father, will you walk before us? Will you guide us and lead us? Will you draw us so close? We have no doubt who we are in your name. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 